Hello, this is DJ Sweet and Lovely Girl, and you are listening to This Is Like The News on UCLA Radio. On this episode, we're taking a look at the DSU's recent sit-in and strike for hybrid access. Starting on January 31st, a coalition of student organizations, including the DSU, the Mother Organizations, and the Undergraduate Students Association Council at UCLA, organized a sit-in at Murphy Hall, UCLA's administrative building to demand a number of requests to accommodate student need, including hybrid access. This strike lasted 16 days, ending on February 17th. To tell us more, we have an interview with a member of the DSU that we conducted on February 4th, five days into the strike. Take a listen. Um, My name is Arielle Edelman. My pronouns are she, they. Um, I am a senior, uh, and I, I transferred last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a musicology major and public affairs minor. All right. So we'll get started just in general. How has this week been for you and for the disabled student students union on the whole? Yeah. Um, it's been a lot. <laughs> um, I think we've all been working super hard and, you know, it's midterm season, mm-hmm. um, as it always is at this school, <laughs> feels like it at least. Um, so that makes things difficult, um, especially for the incredible people that have been occupying Murphy Hall for the past week. Um, but the support that we've had has been absolutely incredible. Like, I've never seen anything like it. It really means a lot to all of us. I know a lot of us have, like... <laughs> been on the verge of tears sometimes because we're so like happy tears um just because of the like incredible displays of support we've seen yeah that seemed really incredible I know you guys mentioned you had interviews and I saw that the city mayor showed up did you anticipate any of this um I mean we were certainly hoping for it yeah (laughs) um our our last strike uh, not strike, our last protest, while it was um, a success in itself, obviously didn't bring us the change that we wanted. Um, and um, so it, it's, it's been overwhelming and in, in a good way to have all of this attention on the cause, especially since now we're in a coalition with their mother organizations, Yeah. Um, which I'm very, very happy we're doing. Um, I think the turnout and like the attention that we've gotten is a testament to the value of the work we're doing and how the value of the work we're doing and the meaning it holds for people, even people outside of UCLA, even outside of Westwood or Los Angeles, we're in contact with um, similar organizations like disabled student unions at all the way across the country, different UCs, private schools, anything, um, along with just, you know, random people commenting on our posts and saying they support us. And even of course, yeah, the Culver city mayor, um, amazing. So cool. Um, and he, you know, he's he's known for being progressive, and um, I think his his solidarity with us shows that that's an an accurate assessment. Um, yeah, 
Yeah. No, it was really, really incredible. I think this is one of, I mean, UCLA has had a few really big movements, but this is one yeah. of the more recent ones that really I haven't seen turn out like that in a while, which was great. Yeah. And in a pandemic. Yeah. Um, definitely. Mm-hmm. There, there were so many people um, on the Zoom in the last week, which means so much because again, it's midterms and people are taking the time out of their day to, to come support us. And I think because it affects everyone. Definitely. Yeah. And on that note of having like this almost like consistent momentum throughout the week, did you actually originally plan to have the sit-in last this long? I know it started January 31st with the strike and the walkout. But did you anticipate going all the way till today, which is Friday? Um, I mean, I think obviously the goal for any sit-in or protest is for it to last 10 minutes and have the people in power concede. <laughs> um, so it, in a way, we we hoped for the best and, and planned for the worst. Um, I think... I think the the length that's gone on is definitely a little disappointing, but it has allowed us to make pretty significant headway on all of our causes. Um, if you saw the live earlier, I think that the, yeah, the, the wins that ASU got, incredible. Um, the, the conversation we had uh, with, with Block earlier, actually very encouraging. So I, I think that even though it's been longer than we wanted it to be, it's still doing what we want it to. So for our listeners, what was the official list of demands from the Disabled Students Union? Our official list of demands is first that all per- in-person lectures be live streamed with students having the choice to go in person or attend the live stream. Um, And together with that, not mandating in-person attendance for students and teaching assistants and and getting rid of non, getting rid of punitive attendance requirements um, because punitive attendance requirements basically incentivizes people to go to class sick, um, which puts us all in danger. And then third, providing recordings, video and audio of classes for students beginning this quarter, like now uh, and continuing indefinitely into the future. Ensuring closed captioning, uh, which is a huge issue. UCLA keeps insisting that they are uh, compliant with accommodations by using auto captioning. It's not compliant um, with the, I believe it's um, WASG guidelines. Um, And it it violates the ADA. there's actually a, a lawsuit that the LA Community College District is uh, that it's, it's going to the Supreme Court now um, because they're getting sued by a um, a blind student. And the argument of the Community College District is that the ableism and exclusion of this blind student from education was unintentional, um, which is is a cop out, and that seems to be. Not saying that UCLA is making the same statement, but 
I, I think personally, as an institution with billions of dollars and access to the best lawyers in the world, they don't really have an excuse for not fully complying with the ADA, especially since it's been over 30 years since it was passed. Um, yes. Anyway, <laughs> uh, next on the list of demands uh, was commitment to expedited hiring, training and deployment of at least four CAE specialists and an ADA compliance officer. Um, because we have not had a permanent ADA compliance officer in, uh, it'll be more than six, it's about seven months by now. Um, it'll be a year by the time this school year ends, um, which is illegal for them to not have. Uh, and then finally, a written statement in support of the establishment of the Lily Shaw Disability Cultural Center in Kirkhoff Hall, written within the next two weeks. So we want them to commit to that ASAP. Um, yeah, so those are our list of demands. And as far as wins from today, we talked a little bit about the ASU wins earlier. Um, I don't want to speak for the other MO organizations, um, but I can, I can like summarize really quickly for today. Um, a major win from what I've been told is that, um, Gene Block, uh, stated his, that he's a fan of uh, hybrid learning, which is promising because if he says he's a fan of hybrid learning, a lot of the, the rest of UCLA can't really say that they <laughs> don't like it. Um, and we also did have a commitment from um, administration on the Lily Shaw Cultural Center. Um, which is wonderful because that's that's a big one. Lily Shaw Disability Cultural Center, sorry. Um, they also did recommit to hiring uh, the CAE specialist and ADA compliance officer um, and ensuring closed captioning. There was a little bit of waffling on live streaming lectures, but we did say that if they can't institute live streaming lectures at, at this moment, that it should be a goal that they're working towards in the future. And that's by uh, investing in technologies like Bruincast in a lecture halls throughout the school where, like, where it's possible to do, um, basically, and to give faculty the resources that they need to make their courses accessible, because right now they don't have those resources. And it seemed like administration was receptive to that. Um, and all of the organizations were able to have administration commit to meeting with us on a regular basis, which is really important to make sure that they don't just say they're going to do something and let it fall to the wayside, um, because we'll be there pressuring them like every month, every quarter. Um, so that was really great. Um, there's also... Um, there were some pretty significant wins from Monday, the meeting with um, Jody Kreiman uh, and Michael Beck. So a uh, major one is that Student Affairs is working to create a non-CAE protocol to submit in-person 
um, learning exceptions before the end of the week, learning and instruction exceptions. Um, and they will hire students to provide Zoom support in classrooms where faculty um, haven't been able to make a, a virtual option work because you know it's it's difficult to do two things at once. They also had committed to hiring more staff members for the CAE. Um, one of the DSU members is going to be recruited uh, by um, Associate Vice Chancellor Suzanne Seplow uh, in order to move the requests of the DSU forward. Um, and we um, are getting another meeting this quarter uh, with admin to discuss all of these demands again uh, and see what progress has been made. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it looks like you guys have made a lot of headway, but um, to my knowledge, like the DSU has been advocating for these mandated hybrid options and improved hybrid options since they um, like UCLA reannounced opening in August, right? Yep. And so what resulted from the protests and the, I guess, requests that the DSU made in the fall quarter and during the summer and how did administrators really respond to those initial um, requests? Uh, <laughs> so the result from our initial requests in fall quarter and before fall quarter, um, initially not much. Um, the couple of wins that we did get was having um, administration send out emails to faculty and staff making it clear that that was an option and that um, because a lot of faculty seem to be under the impression that um, they weren't allowed to provide hybrid access um, because which I don't blame them for not getting it because um, that's what it seemed like because they aren't allowed to go remote without approval um, but so they sent out emails making it clear that they are allowed to provide hybrid access and they put together a document um, to it basically is like a how-to for providing hybrid access um, and we also have been in meetings uh, regularly with them since then which is also important um, another win is that we did get the priority enrollment cap uh, reversed uh, because they had lowered the cap before, which also impacts people's ability to get hybrid access um, for various reasons. You know, if you can't get enough classes at once, then you're kind of screwed. Um, so that was a major win that took us pretty much all of fall quarter and the first first week or so of this one. How did kind of the experiences of those meetings from fall quarter and both the progress that was made and the progress that wasn't really made, how did that inform this quarter's efforts? I think it's very easy for administration to not necessarily purposefully ignore us, but for us to not be a priority if we're not literally sitting outside their offices. Um, it's easy for them to talk to us on a Zoom and then totally forget about everything we just talked about. Cause you know, I'm sure they're very busy um, running a school of 40,000 people. Um, I think that pushed us to make a more 
um, to move towards a more radical action and more decisive, loud uh, action. I think that those experiences also pushed us to um, align with these other organizations because, you know, the liberation of disabled people and of people of color and other marginalized people are all intertwined, um, especially during a pandemic when black and brown people are so much more likely to get sick and die, particularly due to discrimination. Um, and especially disabled black and brown people. Um, so I think having those experiences where we kind of constantly got pushed to the side motivated us to be more decisive and to form coalitions with other stakeholders in these issues so that we can, you know, combine forces and it, it's working out. Yeah, absolutely. It's very clear that I think there's power in the community that you guys have made. On that note, when exactly did the coalition form? I think it had kind of been in the works over the last few months. Um, you know, we'd been, we'd been in conversation with people and obviously there's some overlap in membership. Um, so I think it, it was just um, one, it, it was a little bit inevitable. <laughs> um because of both the overlap of people and ideas um, and goals. Yeah, I think we more formally began to get involved with each other towards the end of last quarter and the beginning of this quarter. Yeah, and just to recap, so what were all the actions in Avenues of Action the Disabled Students Union took this week? There's obviously the ongoing strike um, that started on Monday, very early in the morning, um, and there have Obviously, since people are kind of right up in each other's faces there, there have been constant meetings and talks with each other, um, as well as over Zoom. We've had multiple um, hybrid strikes, uh, Zoom strikes, which, you know, goes to show that hybrid access really is possible, even with a bunch of random students. Um, so we, we've had, I believe, Zoom uh, portions of striking three, if not four or five days out of the week. Um, we have, you know, met with news organizations, um, including UCLA news organizations. Um, we've met with uh, politicians and people campaigning for office. I think the most um, significant Parts of the week have been Monday and Friday, um, Monday with the start of the strike and sit-in. Um, and then today, um, after the meeting with uh, Chancellor Jean Block, everybody showed up um, in support, both in person and online, uh, kind of lining up in a silent strike in the hallways. And that's also, I, I believe it was streamed on Instagram. Those have been showing administration just how much support we have and how much this matters to everyone, I think is one of the most important things we've done this week. Yeah, that video, which um, for listeners is on the DSU Instagram, is really incredible to watch because it is almost the entire hallway that is lined yeah. that came out to support. And then I saw you guys even had the projector up with the mm -hmm. um, Zoom going on. We have some wonderfully creative people um, 
that make the strikes and, and protest events really, I think, beautiful, in my opinion. The DSU and um, the coalition on a whole has been really, really good about utilizing social media. So can you talk mm-hmm. about kind of the idea behind just doing the updates and the approach you took to using things like the petitions and Instagram and Twitter? Because I think those look like the primary um, outlets that you guys are going to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, both the Mother Org and Mother Org's and DSU have been using petitions and social media for quite a while, um, especially the mother orgs, because um, they're just like really significant, like pillars of student life here. Um, and DSU kind of took after them in that way. Um, and I think that we're so adamant about using social media because it's another avenue of access. So even if you can't attend the Zoom strike, if even if you can't show up in person, uh, most people who, if they do have access to a, a smartphone or a computer, they can follow along and participate, um, which is really important to us because obviously we think anyone should be able to participate and be part of the movement. Yeah, I think I think it's just another really important part of access. Were you able to attend any of the um, in-person like sit-in or walkout or anything like that? Uh, Not me personally. Um, I'm pretty high risk. Yeah. So I, I actually haven't left my house since January 7th uh, because that was when I got some uh, migraine injections. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I haven't, done a single academic thing at UCLA or extracurricular thing other than medical care. Mm -hmm. Um, And on that note, what was the experience during fall quarter for you as like a high risk student? um, I am privileged and lucky enough to have had remote accommodations uh, the past two quarters. I mean, I felt very lucky, but yeah, it, it was also isolating at times because people would continuously talk about how, especially the professors would be like, oh, I'm so glad we're all back on campus. Um, and there I was on the Zoom. <laughs> um, also frustrating from a public health standpoint. Definitely. Because it's, we shouldn't be. <laughs> um, but yeah. And from your like fellow members in the DSU, were there any like resonating experiences they had about how they feel UCLA like responded to disabled students during fall quarter where it was supposed to be a return to normal or like things like that? The general sentiment is that we feel, we don't feel heard. We feel ignored. We feel like we've been cast aside um, and used as a sacrifice for abled people to return to quote unquote normal. Um, And that's, yeah, it's, it's really alienating. Uh, Did you feel like there was um, a disparity in response between administrators and faculty were one more accommodating than the other, or did it just depend? Um, I, I think it really depends. Um, I, I'm personally in 
the humanities and uh, social sciences. So I have a very different experience from my uh, peers in STEM, especially like the music department is full of absolutely lovely, lovely people. Um, and there are some really great public affairs professors too. So um, for the most part, my professors have been wonderful and tried to accommodate me. I think the main issue in my experience has been a lack of resources from administration for my professors to be able to provide me the access that um, that I, I deserve. Um, but I know for a lot of my peers, it is very much not, not the case. Um, and a lot of professors still hold the idea that online learning is somehow inferior. Um, and that if you can't make it in person, you're somehow not dedicated enough or something, even though you're literally making the effort to, to learn <laughs> online. Um, so yeah, I, I know that people in STEM have had much more difficult time with that. But yeah, it is definitely very interesting the way at least I think we saw last year how willing UCLA was to accommodate online school when it was the only way they could get tuition out of kids almost. It was very interesting to see a shift on how willing they were to make that shift to online depending on whether or not they had to. Um, for able Yeah. Students. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I think the, the situation that occurred on Monday is a, a pretty perfect example of that, um, where UCLA still, they still didn't have an adequate response. They informed people way too late. Um, and yeah, j just a slow response and people were kept in the dark, but they ultimately made the right decision, which was to keep everyone safe by keeping people remote, um, which I just think it's really ironic that they can't, they can't see the, the disparity in there because they think, oh, well, clearly everyone's in danger. Um, when like, yes, everyone was in danger. And likewise, we're also all in danger right now. Um, Personally, to me, uh, as Ariel, it, it's ridiculous. Um, and I think it goes to show, again, like you said, that it, they only are committed to the safety of abled people, the people that they, that they think of as the default person, the default student, white, able-bodied people. Exactly, yeah. And... This is also, I realized, we didn't clarify this for listeners, but what is UCLA's current policy um, for when they return to full in-person um, regarding allowing lectures to be online, allowing professors to put lectures online? Uh, UCLA's current policy um, that I last checked, the, so updated as of last week, um, unless they made any wonderful, significant changes, <laughs> um, is that they quote unquote encourage professors to put lectures online, um, but that professors are not allowed to um, put their classes in a fully remote uh, modality without seeking permission from administration. And usually you can only get permission from administration if you have a documented uh, disability or it's for 
um, uh, a curricular reason, as they said. And obviously faculty can have the same exact issues with medical discrimination and healthcare access as students. Um, and as far as students, it's the same thing. If you don't have a documented condition with the CAE, you can't get those accommodations. Um, you can get temporary ones if you have COVID, but because there isn't per, like there isn't universal hybrid access, that makes things very difficult for students who either test positive or are notified of exposure, because then they have to scramble to to get access from professors who may not be lenient. Um, so UCLA's current policy in in my view is a kind of uh, I, I don't see it attitude. <laughs> yeah, definitely on that. There's usually a huge, not a huge, but quite a significant lag between either getting COVID and testing positive or being mm -hmm. exposed to testing positive. And in that time, especially on the quarter system, you know, you miss two or three classes and it's like, oh. yeah, it's, yeah, it's a significant part of the quarter. And um, as someone who's studying policy and I plan to go into the policy field um, and I do pretty significant research in my own time on like public health and epidemiology, um, God knows I don't have enough readings for class already, uh, but it, in my view and from what I've, I've read, um, UCLA is not following proper public health procedures. I mean, to that end, neither is the United States or most countries in the world, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, they're not reacting to COVID in the way they should, considering that it's an airborne disease. Um, and they're honestly, they're not informing students properly. I, I don't think most students are, um, like fully aware of, of the risk that they're in the, the risk that they're at. And considering again, most students are a little bit too busy to be reading through ep epidemiology papers and, and articles on viral transmission. They, you know, they don't have the opportunity for that to get that information. So UCLA should be doing a better job of that. That is something I actually pointed out to um, the ASH director recently, that they need to be doing a better job of helping students understand that COVID is airborne and that standing six feet apart from someone in a closed indoor space that's poorly ventilated isn't really going to do anything. Definitely. And I do think it was interesting that up until I think this quarter, UCLA didn't even have a very consistent plan for monitoring um yes mm -hmm. oh that is um that is also something i've brought up with the administration um i i take issue with their testing policy it has improved since since last quarter um but that's a bit of a low bar um <laughs> yeah uh, i mean i think the you the school of music's testing policy is um, a, a pretty good example of what they should be aiming for, which is testing all students three times a week, regardless of vaccination status. I think that's an excellent policy. I do still think in in an ideal world, we wouldn't be in person, um, at least for 99% of classes. Um, but testing once a week, I think is... It, 
it's a, about a year late for that policy. Uh, we should be on two, three, four times a week, if not every day, which other schools are doing, especially in other countries. Uh, also, it's very easy for people to lie. Not that a student would lie, um, but I don't think, again, because attendance, uh, not attending is so heavily penalized, um, they're incentivized to lie on these. Uh, or people might not know, and UCLA, in, in having the symptom survey, they're kind of ignoring the fact that uh, a very large portion of transmission is from asymptomatic individuals, which so many studies have shown by now. You know, we're two, almost about two years into the pandemic in the U.S. I really think that they should have policies that reflect the modes of transmission that, that COVID has. Uh, it's just silly. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, there are a lot of things we could talk about for a while <laughs> regarding this, <laughs> but I'll move on for now. Yeah. Um, so on the UCLA policies that UCLA doesn't mandate um, putting all lectures online, they encourage it. Right. And then yes. do you know if UCLA has any, I think this is one thing you guys have been working towards removing punitive measures for attendance. Mm -hmm. Have they made any statements regarding that? The line that we've gotten this week is that they will talk to academic Senate about it, um, which uh, I believe my peers in DSU um, made the point that academic Senate already made illegal decisions regarding disabled students' rights uh, in the university. And we had to spend almost a year reversing that. Um, yeah, that was the priority enrollment thing. That, that was completely illegal. Um, and we informed them of that. Um, so we, we told them about our lack of trust in Academic Senate uh, and that we don't have much faith in their ability to make um, just decisions based on, on science and student need. So we did get a somewhat receptive response from admin on that. So we're hoping that we can make some more direct decisions regarding um, removing punitive measures for attendance. Because um, I think that's one of the most important tools that universities have in limiting the spread of COVID. Yeah, definitely. I know even um, before the pandemic, people would sometimes still come to class if they were sick just because you would either, especially back then where almost no professors did hybrid, um, you would just yeah. need information. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the reasons why disabled students and, um, and other marginalized groups like commuter students and parenting students have been advocating for um, either recordings or hybrid access literally for decades. Um, you know, UCLA helped invent the internet. I think they, uh, <laughs> they have the, the at least technological capability of providing this kind of access to us. Um, yeah, it, it is wild to think about how often people went to class sick. Um, oh, yeah. And like we saw last year, um, all of last year, they do have those capabilities. They just mm -hmm. 
kind of choose and don't choose them depending on what benefits um, them and what benefits, I guess, like able-bodied students or what you said so well, mm-hmm. what they see as the default student. And on that um, note about I guess, like what they said this week and moving forward, um, the talks today and yesterday, uh, how has that informed what the DSU plans to do within the coming weeks? Uh, In the coming weeks, I think it entirely depends on the extent to which they meet our demands. Um, If they do meet our demands, wonderful. We'll continue meeting with them to hold them accountable for it, um, to make sure that it isn't done in like a half-ass way. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Uh, (laughs) um, And if they don't meet our demands, then I think our assumption is that we'll continue putting, putting pressure on them. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and will the DSU um, can and the rest of the coalition, I suppose, continue to strike or does Friday mark the end of the, I guess, official sit in? Um, I actually have yet to hear back from my peers on that. Um, so I, I really can't say right yeah. now, but mm-hmm. we'll definitely uh, once there is a decision, it'll be out on social media for everyone to see. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It seems like there's still, even though a lot of progress was made this week, there's still a lot that's still on the table. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens and hopefully administration carries out like with their goals and what was the DSU's goals and the coalition's goals. And it's good to know that people are willing to show out for these kinds of things. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really wonderful as a, as a disabled student, um, to see people who are not part of the community, you know, make such a big stink for our sake. Um, and then I'm sure for students of color, it's wonderful to see uh, these random white kids showing up for them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, again, like you said, the community has been really, really powerful. Mm-hmm. And if students want to get involved in the movement and with DSU beyond this week, what are some avenues that they can take? Um, I know for DSU that we have, or I guess for for both, uh, for the strike, we have a link tree uh, that you can find on all the social media in link in bio. Um, And as far as getting involved with DSU, we have a, a group me that you can find on the DSU link tree. And for the mother organizations, um, I'm, I'm not super sure on how their membership structure works, but I'm also sure that if you contact them through either social media or email that they'll you know, welcome people who wanna join with open arms. And yeah. as far as helping out with the strike, there's also um, the strike or just uh, meeting our demands um, we have a, a virtual action uh, guide that is also on the strike link tree. So it's like a, a Google doc listing a bunch of templates and people to email uh, and social media accounts to tweet at. So basically it's kind of all set up for you. Um, you just have to copy and paste and hit send. And are there any last things you want to mention to either UCLA students or the UCLA radio listeners regarding the DSU, the movement, or anything in general? 
Um, I do think it's important for people to get involved. Um, you know, there's, there's that line, we're not free till everyone's free. Um, you know, join, join the organizations for identities that you're a part of and, you know, act in support of those who you're not, you, you don't identify with. Um, and if you're not convinced on the need for hybrid access, um, I really want to encourage people to listen to our stories and think about all the times that they have, you know, wish that they could tune into class from their bed because they have a killer hangover or um, got caught up because their cat peed on everything uh, at home and they needed to wash everything. So it, hybrid access benefits everyone and doesn't, it's to no one's detriment, you know? Um, now students can hopefully in the near future can get paid to help professors implement uh, hybrid options. So it's, it's really a win-win for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Ariel, for interviewing with UCLA Radio. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And I hope, yeah, that DSU gets all the requests that they've made because they matter not just to disabled students, but all students, uh, mm -hmm. like you said. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. After that interview, the Disabled Students Union and the rest of the coalition continued to strike for another 10 days. The strike officially ended on February 17th. On Saturday, February 12th, Vice Chancellor Gordon met with the Disabled Students Union, USAC, and the mother organizations, which includes the American Indian Students Association, the Pacific Island Students Association, and the African Student Union in tandem with the Black Student Athlete Alliance. The meeting was reported to be a very successful one in terms of receptiveness from the Vice Chancellor, but still not entirely what they needed. By the end of the strike, a number of demands had been met, and few were still left to be satisfied, but even those made headway in their progress. For the Disabled Students Union, they were given a commitment to accurate closed captions and university guidance on captioning uploads. They were also given the hiring of a new ADA compliance officer with permanent funding. And Vice Chancellor Monroe Gordon and Chancellor Jean Block wrote and signed a letter in support of the Lily Shaw Disability Cultural Center. They're still waiting on getting the university to mandate recording and live streaming all lectures and getting rid of punitive attendance requirements. But they secured a meeting with the Academic Senate to discuss the progress in these areas moving forward. In addition, Vice Chancellor Monroe Gordon and Chancellor Jean Block are writing a letter to endorse dual modality to the Academic Senate. To stay updated on the progress of the movement and their recent wins, I highly encourage you check out two Instagrams. The first one is DSU UCLA, which is the official Disabled Students Union Instagram. And the other is UCLA President, which is the USAC Office of the President's Instagram. They both post a lot of updates on the strike, the sit-in, and how to get involved in the movement. So yeah, for all those listening, this has been This Is Like the News with DJ Sweet and Lovely Girl, and you're listening to UCLA Radio. Thanks for tuning in.